Welcome into the Paul Kuharski podcast. I might be coming down with something and I know exactly where to trace it in the Titans press room. If I am, I'm happy you're here. We're going to discuss candidates to replace Mike Vrabel, Amy Adams, Strunk's role in the new collaboration. Aziz Alshair's fine. Uh, I'm part of the 440 network. I'm brought to you by Zen Sports and Jaspers. We're going to jump right in. Candidates to replace Mike Vrabel. What offensive whiz kid from the McVeigh or Shanahan tree has not panned out? It's gone pretty well for those guys. Zach Taylor, Kevin O'Connell from McVeigh's tree, Mike McDaniel from Shanahan's tree, Matt LaFleur from both trees. Probably thought it was a bit early for every one of those guys. I think Titans fans would be happy, should be happy, if they wound up with somebody akin to any of those guys. You'd take any of those four guys right now. There were also three defensive guys out of those trees. Brandon Staley out of the McVeigh tree is the only clear fail uh, of from them. Robert Sala with the Jets is okay. We haven't seen him yet in a situation with a good quarterback. Maybe next year with Aaron, an aging Aaron Rodgers. D'Amico Ryan's out of Shanahan, uh, has his team in the playoffs in his first season when it was a terrible Houston Texans team last year. None of the candidates connected to the Titans so far are McVay or Shanahan guys. But neither was Kevin Stefanski, who started out with the Browns coming from a Brad Childress tree or Nick Sirianni who's uh, done well with the Eagles who's a smorgasbord guy he comes from Todd Haley Romeo Crennel Mike McCoy Anthony Lynn and Frank Reich so uh, you know I think they've got to hire an offensive guy um, and four of those guys have been requested already Ben Johnson from Detroit Brian Callahan from Cincinnati, Mike Kafka from the Giants, Brian Johnson from Philadelphia. Let's look at those guys some. I should mention that Mike Herndon already has a piece up at paulkuharski.com. You should be a member there. It's the price of a cup of coffee per month to read everything that we put up there, including Mike's weekly column. He delves into some of these guys, some other guys. Um, and what he thinks of them, also his thoughts on the end of Vrabel's tenure. Um, and I've got a lot of stuff up there about that, obviously. Um, I've <clears throat> investigated some of these guys, or read up on them, called around, and wanted to share kind of my thoughts on where these guys are in terms of how ready they would be to take over the Titans as a head coach. So Ben Johnson, the Detroit Lions offensive coordinator, is a, is a hell of a candidate. Very good play caller. He's had a player in Detroit call him kind of an evil genius with the way he puts together plays. He's regarded as a super bright guy. Uh, very good relationship with Jared Goff, who he's turned into something I think many of us thought Jared Goff could never be as an NFL quarterback. He's very hands-on. That could rub some people uh, the, the wrong way as a head coach. I don't think he'd be as hands-on as Mike Vrabel. Um, hard to match that, but uh, he is regarded as the big reason that Jared Goff has turned into what Jared Goff has turned into, which is a playoff quarterback who's who's been a key member of a turnaround of a franchise that historically 
sucks. Um, he's been cranky when he's been asked about head coaching opportunities. Last year, he obviously had um, significant chances, particularly in Carolina, and declined thinking that he needed at least one more year to put himself in position to be ready. Now he looks like a guy that checks all the boxes. He would just need a good staff around him, perhaps with a few older guys on it. <clears throat> what tree does he come out of? Joe Philbin, Dan Campbell, Adam Gase, Matt Patricia. So it's it's not a matter of tree for, for Ben Johnson. But I think he's as strong a candidate as is out there. Uh, he's going to be very attractive. David Tepper is going to desperately want him in Carolina. He's got North Carolina roots. But Carolina is the least uh, enticing of the, what is it now, eight open jobs because David Tepper is very difficult to work for and because Carolina uh, is, is such a mess. Brian Callahan, the offensive coordinator of the Cincinnati Bengals, is not calling plays. Zach Taylor calls plays. But he's got some great stuff on his resume. He worked with Peyton Manning in Denver which means that he uh, understands protections to the Peyton Manning degree of understanding protections. And God knows the Titans need help protecting the quarterback. That starts with an influx of new offensive line talent. Uh, but it'd be great to have an offensive-minded head coach who would then have uh, a coordinator and an offensive line coach all in sync with his vision, um, which, you know, is, is hyper-intensive based on having seen it through Peyton Manning's eyes. Um, you know, I'm told he's got all the chops. He's got a great personality. Coach's son, obviously, his dad coached, was head coach of the Raiders and uh, a great offensive line coach. Players love him. He's got a great rapport in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow and the quarterbacks. And he was a big part of the group that uh, got Jake Browning to a place where he led the Bengals to a four and three record in his first seven starts uh, and kept the Bengals in a playoff run after Joe Burrow's wrist injury ended, uh, you know, the Bengals hopes as far as most of us expected. Um, he's with Zach Taylor on the ground floor in 2019 when, when they came in, um, he's been in the league, uh, more than a decade. And, and like I said, comes from, uh, an NFL family. He, Terrific with the media, I'm, I'm told. His tree, um, McDaniels, jo Josh McDaniels, which is no great vote of confidence, John Fox, Jim Caldwell, little John Gruden. Mike Kafka of the New York Giants. Some people in New York are surprised that the attention Mike Kafka is getting as a head coaching candidate. He's very much an embrace routine guy. He's good with the X's and O's. Um, regarded as an excellent teacher, but he's been, uh, he, sorry, he's been known spice up his meetings with some quality TikTok uh, clips and stuff like that. We know Mike Vrabel uh, was known for that, but get this. Mike Kafka's own mother called him boring. She said boring, but not in a bad kind of way, but I don't know what boring in a good kind of way is in a piece in NewJersey.com last January. He's quiet around the media, bland and short. Doesn't sound like a face of the organization guy to me. It's from the Andy Reid tree, and Andy Reid loved him 
as uh, as a teacher in Kansas City. So he's he's got a nice background, but does not sound like the guy you'd want to be replacing Mike Vrabel as uh, as the face of the organization, the public face of the organization. Brian Johnson is the offensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's only got three years in the NFL. He's just finishing his first year as a play caller. Um, The Eagles play Monday night against Tampa Bay, the sliding Eagles in a wildcard round game. He's been their quarterback coach since uh, 2001, so he had Jalen Hurts in that capacity for two years and as his offensive coordinator for this year. Previously, he was a college guy, coached at Florida, at Houston, at Mississippi State, and at Utah. Um, So it's not all an offensive uh, coordinator issue, but Philadelphia is down from last year, and, and they've obviously finished the season very poorly this year. They're down from third to eighth in total offense this year. They're down 2.6 points per game, almost a field goal. Um, I watched some of his press conference, the, his, his uh, what's today, Thursday press conference. Seemed pretty good. He's speaking, obviously, narrowly, uh, largely about Jalen Hurts. Um, very early for a guy who's only been in the NFL for three years, though. He comes from the Dan Mullen tree. Uh, was with him at Mississippi State and Florida. Defensive guys, the Titans have put in requests for Antonio Pierce from Las Vegas, Dan Quinn from Dallas, Aaron Glenn from Detroit, Mike McDonald from Baltimore. Dan Quinn, uh, you know, had a great run in Atlanta before all of his offensive people left, and that was Kyle Shanahan and and two of his ace people that were with him. I don't know how you put that back together. And I I think Quinn's pretty closely connected to that Seattle job at the start here. Mike McDonald is regarded by some people I've talked to as maybe the best of the first time candidates out there. But we know those of us who've watched the Titans closely during Mike Vrabel's six years, that the question comes, who's your offensive coordinator And then, you know, what do you do if your offensive coordinator has success for two years and gets hired away? You've got to constantly have a stable coming up under that guy, capable of taking over for that guy. And, you know, look, if you're good and your coordinator's good, you know, it sounds nice that you keep processing coordinators, but it's a very difficult thing to do. And, um, you know, teams usually hire opposite of what they've had. Titans haven't had a, a dynamic offense with the exception of that one patch with Arthur, Arthur Smith before they blew it with A.J. Brown. Um, it'd, be, it'd be great to see them go offensive. But, you know, is the fourth offensive coach better than the first or second defensive coach? You have to consider things like that as well. So I don't think they could say, you know, we're absolutely going to have an offensive coach. Certainly like him to lean that way. Let's look at some more offensive coaches who certainly um, are out there and who we've talked about considering on sports talk radio and the like, but who the Titans haven't necessarily put in a request for yet. Uh, Frank Smith, the offensive coordinator of the Dolphins. He's not calling plays with Mike McDaniel. Uh, He's regarded as smart and efficient, 
not a Vrabel type in terms of leadership by any means. It's not his offense. So I talked to somebody down there who said, you know, the idea that he's an offensive whiz is, is not entirely accurate. And they think he may be a couple years away from ready. But again, you know, Zach Taylor was a couple years away from ready. Uh, Matt LaFleur was a couple years away from ready. Mike McDaniel was regarded as a couple years away from ready. Um, next logical step for him obviously would be to be an offensive coordinator play caller. And maybe, you know, one of these guys we're talking about will end up the play caller for whoever the Titans head coach is. One of these guys that doesn't have play calling responsibility right now. Um, Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator with the Texans has done great work with CJ Stroud this year. And he is connected to Rand Carthon because he was in San Francisco before this year. He is a Shanahan guy. Um, he's further down the road than Frank Smith in terms of being ready, but he also probably could use some more time. He's got a varied resume. He worked on the defensive side of the ball even at the beginning of his time in San Francisco, so he's got more of a 360-degree look at the league in his time in the league. Uh, talked to somebody that doesn't see him leaving after one season as a play caller, said he's a good guy, not a great quote, quote very analytical. Dave Canales um, from Tampa Bay has resurrected Baker Mayfield's career, which is uh, quite, quite a job, and he deserves an uh, incredible amount of credit. I think he'd be a good candidate for assistant coach of the year in the NFL this year. Um, he is a product of Pete Carroll and, uh, was qualified to me by somebody as a reincarnation of Pete Carroll with that kind of vibe, a high energy guy who wakes up every day and feels like he's looking at first and 10, um, resurrected Mayfield, but it's his first time calling plays since the mid two thousands, um, at, in high school. Um, his body of work and the way he operates, one person I talked to said might be better suited to being a head coach than an offensive coordinator, which is interesting. Uh, tone setter, who is a good listener, who relates to people and brings a positive message all of the time. That might uh, strike the Titans as a lot different than, than Mike Vrabel, who could be grumpy and a, a tone setter sometimes with a, a negative tone and a bad mood uh could be premature again this is a, a guy that it might be early for he's likely to interview well in his tree pete carroll uh, this is where i remind you please please to like subscribe and review uh, do whatever you can if you're here watching on youtube to help the cause or wherever you're consuming this fine podcast please do the same Thanks in advance for helping the cause of the Paul Kuharski podcast and paulkuharski.com, which you can subscribe to for the very low cost of $5.99 a month, or you can get a year's worth of, of uh, product here for uh, 12 months for the price of 11. You won't regret it. Uh, unique contact uh, content all year round on uh, your favorite team. And obviously a lot of news and analysis coming up with um, the buildup to a big decision about who's going to be the head coach and then a lot of information about who he is and what kind of staff he puts together.
What kind of quality is the Tennessee Titans head coaching job? A lot of people poo-poo it, I think, too much. Look, the Chargers head coaching job is a really good head coaching job because they got a great quarterback in Justin uh, Herbert. There's weak ownership out there with the Spanos, the Spanos family, but they stuck with Anthony Lynn for four years, who wasn't a very good head coach. Staley got almost three years. Uh, you live in Southern California, which you could do a lot worse. They're, uh, you, you know, they're second-class citizens to the Rams, but if you go out there and win, you could, you could change the story. I think that's the best available job. I think Atlanta is a pretty solid job, solid roster. Arthur Blank, solid owner, uh, solid roster minus the quarterback, and they're drafting eighth. Uh, they might be in range of one of the four best quarterbacks here, or or they could they could move up and make their charge. Washington with a new owner, uh, deep deep pockets, probably gives uh, amazing resources. And, uh, and can promise you the world. I think the Titans fit in right after that. Um, the newcomer's going to have to like Rand Carthon and want to collaborate, buy into this collaborative um, view that the Titans have, uh, get a better translation of it from Amy Adams Strunk than she offered in the statement that, that, uh, that she gave and in the little hostage tape that she did with Mike Keith. Um, but Rand seems to have a solid reputation around the league. And I think, uh, these candidates will find friends who say good things about him, tougher jobs than the Titans. I mean, new England, I, I would think is going to be Mike Vrabel or, or Mayo. Um, uh, you don't want to be the guy who replaces Bill Belichick. You got to have a big kind of ego to handle that. And how deeply are they going to look beyond those two guys? I don't know. Three jobs strike me as, as not fantastic. The Raiders change coaches constantly, and Mark Davis seems pretty clueless. Um, you know, and I think Antonio Pierce should get that job, but I don't know that he will. Seattle, you know, you're living off in the corner of, of America. you got to be willing to do that. John Schneider uh, seems like he'll be pretty powerful now after, you know, uh, Pete Carroll for years and years had the upper hand of power there so i don't think it's a bad job but uh and carolina's obviously a terrible job seattle's probably a better job than the titans uh carolina's a terrible job uh, nonetheless eight jobs uh there there are eight good candidates out there for sure the titans should end up with a good uh, and promising head head coach unless they blow it uh, you know and there's a little bit of a roll of the dice odds are you're getting a first-time head coach and, um, you know, we've seen, I listed for you early, some good first time head coaches, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball, Titans luck. They'd, they'd find one who, who's not, uh, who doesn't pan out like these guys have O'Connell and LeFleur and, and Taylor, but they should be able to find one. They should be able to find one. I'm expecting them to find one. I'm brought to you by Zen sports. Join, join, join Zen Sports. Go get the app. Here's their logo and whatnot. Let me put it on this side this time. Zen Sports. No, it's more natural over here. Um, you join Zen Sports and you make a $10 bet and uh, you get a free one-year membership to Paul Kuharski. But if your $10 bet is bigger than $10, even if it's $10, your first bet 
can be a no danger is a no danger first wager bonus. If you lose that first bet, you get refunded up to one thousand dollars. Anything that you can get odds on up to five hundred dollars. That is a pretty sweet deal right there. And um, I've got a parlay for you here for Super Wild Card Weekend. Uh, I'm not going to put $1,000 on it, but I'm going to put something on it. Um, so get out your pen uh, or talk this into your phone notes. Browns money line over Houston. Browns money line over Houston. Kansas City giving four and a half to Miami. And Tampa Bay over 20 and a half points versus Philadelphia Monday night. Uh, the Eagles have been giving up 31 points a game in their last seven games. The Bucs are averaging 24, and that's despite bad showings in the last two weeks against division rivals. Uh, this is plus 440, I think I wrote down. I don't have it right in front of me. Browns money line over Houston. Kansas City giving four and a half against Miami. Tampa Bay over 20 and a half against Philly Monday night. Book it, as they say. Uh, Zen Sports, download it and uh, get it on your phone. Use it as your betting app. It's my preferred betting app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-889-9789. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 and over in Tennessee to bet. Again, sign up, use TNPaul as your code. Get a bet, make a $10 bet, get a free membership to paulkuherski.com right here. Collaboration is the buzzword with the Titans and this new head coach who's going to come in and work with Rand Carthon and Rand Carthon's front office and with Amy Adams Strunk. Amy Adam Strunk said, and, and this is a quote that takes some sorting through, as the NFL continues to innovate and evolve, I believe the team's best positioned for sustained success will be those who empower an aligned and collaborative team across all football functions. That's a lot. I believe the team's best positioned for sustained success will be those who empower an aligned and collaborative team across all football functions. What does that mean? You could read it a couple times and be like, ah, I kind of get it. And then you read it again and you're like, ah, yeah, don't, don't really understand what that means. Um, I've read it probably now 15 times now that I've gotten to it again here. It sounds great. Uh, it, the, the suggestion there is major harmony. It also may be a little pie in the sky. You know, you, you know the, the saying, it's amazing how much you can accomplish when nobody cares who gets the credit. In the NFL, a good share of people do care who gets the credit. There are egos at work with general managers and executives vying for the general manager's attention and pats on the head and coaches and assistant coaches vying for credit from their head coach. So it's a, a nice aspiration, but it's also to some degree, I, I believe, um, unrealistic. So shoot for it. That, that's great. But there's going to be some pull. You know, and their staff has gotten substantially bigger. You know, you've got a GM and two assistant GMs now. 
There could be more incoming. Who knows? The structure, Vrabel, you know, seemed un, unclear, unsatisfied with the structure. Now you got a head coach coming in. It's going to hire, you know, a largely new staff. Vrabel had six holdovers from Malarkey staff, mostly low-level people. But, you know, a new coach is putting together. I have a piece of uh, uh, on this at pk.com. A new staff is largely put together out of guys who've been fired elsewhere, who have contracts that are up, who are unwanted. And so that first staff is hard for it to be, uh, you know, super terrific. You get permission from from a couple teams to to go promote their quarterback coach to your coordinator, um, their linebacker coach to your defensive coordinator, things like that. But you're also hiring a bunch of fired guys from the the other seven teams that have fired their head coaches or the Jaguars who fired their defensive staff or the bears who fired their uh, offensive staff. It's hard to get excited, you know, pondering some of those guys um, right now. Anyway, in this big collaboration, I think Amy Adams Strunk has to take a, a big lead. Um, and she set up a world where you, you have to care about who gets credit because she has always picked a side. I think she's done a pretty good job as owner of the Tennessee Titans, but Amy Adams Strunk has always picked a side. She inherited Ken Wisenhunt and Rustin Webster, and she eventually chose Webster, which was the clear choice. They dumped Wisenhunt and promoted Mike Malarkey, and then she became a Malarkey person again seemingly the clear choice. She hired John Robinson to replace Webster in another win and then helped him undermine Malarkey right in the middle of the team's return to the playoffs after an eight-year drought. It was it was sloppy and it was ugly. It was the right move, but she and Robinson mangled it and and really stabbed the guy in the back right at at the height of his career at an unnecessarily timed move. Then she turned on Robinson who, you know, was drafting horribly, but it was right after the A.J. Brown game against them and seemed very reactionary, and she stood with Vrabel for 13 months until she sided with Carthon. She's generally picked right until now, I think, but she needs to not constantly be picking. She needs to get off the seesaw. And if she's now all about collaboration, she needs to lead it, which means she can't be on somebody's side in 13 months the way she was in this last turn. Both Rand Carthon and the new coach need to be level with her now for a long stretch of time. Hiring a new coach can't be the beginning of her falling in love with the new coach and out of love with Rand Carthon. Also in terms of collaboration, you can't underestimate the most important collaboration around a football team. The most important collaborations in the locker room where guys played for Vrabel in week 18 of a lost season, of a horrible season, and for all of his foibles, he held together a team in a situation where rosters usually crumble and guys have plane reservations to get out of town and golf tee times and all of that stuff. And this team played hard for him through the end. And that's got to be valued and central 
And if you don't have that degree amongst kumbaya, the kumbaya amongst the brass doesn't matter if you don't have that in the, in the locker room. And you can't forget that. What this team had in week 15, 16, 17, 18 in a locker room is a very valuable thing. And as they're talking about collaboration, it's uh, look, the Titans offices are largely on one floor now. But when you talk about upstairs, um, you know, you're talking about front office. You're talking about Rand Carthon and Anthony Robinson and Chad Brinker and and bringing the coach into that and everybody working together. And that's great. It should work that way. But it needs to translate where you're not losing focus on the 53 guys on the roster and the 16 guys on the practice squad having a unique collaboration among them, coaching staff and players. And that's the most important collaboration. Not Rand Carthon and his guys and all of that. You want that too. But if you're choosing the most important collaboration in the building, that's not it. Most important collaboration in the building is Will Levis and his receivers. Most important collaboration in the building are the pass rushers syncing up to get to the other team's quarterback. Most important collaboration in the building is the offensive coordinator designing systems and calling plays that get the Titans down the field and into the end zone in a way that they haven't visited nearly frequently enough. Don't lose track of that in the middle of all of this stuff that's now far removed from the next football game that this team plays. I'm also brought to you by um, the, 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 the one final point there that I missed. This is the most that Amy Adams Strunk has been doubted since she became controlling owner in March of 2015, right? And she's earned that doubt, I think. It's going to take time now for her to earn back that faith. So let's go. Right. I mean, it doesn't have to be fast. They can take their time hiring this coach and everything. But then, you know, and how about a little, you know, everybody that defends them on the transparency thing, like they don't need to tell you anything and all of that. They got a lot of PSLs to sell. And I don't think a lot of blind faith amongst the people with the kind of money, the big money to sell the big PSLs. I, I would encourage you to not have blind faith to get good seats in this building. Make them tell you something. Rand Carthon couldn't express a vision for the football team. I mean, that's as minor league as it comes. It's not very hard to say. Like, we want to be an aggressive football team with an energetic coach that shows collaboration upstairs and downstairs and in the locker room and ultimately delivers this city a football team. Boom. I just put together a vision off the top of my head, and I'm not the general manager of the football team. Amy Adams Strunk basically delivered a vision between her statement and her video that Rand Carthon couldn't repeat that that there's a problem there. There's a disconnect there. Get that shit together. Come on. You think that's going to sell? It's not. Jasper's is also my sponsor. Jasper's is a great restaurant on uh, West End in between downtown and Midtown. So it's a great location. There's free parking, which is a terrific thing that is very difficult to find. Uh, you hop in there for a business lunch, a date night, a family night. You can play games, pop a shot, uh, air hockey, things like that to pass some time. Or you can sit at the bar and listen to a podcast like I do. Uh, go over some, some notes for work, catch up on some reading. Drinks are cold. Service is good. Food is delicious. 
Uh, it's ideal location right there in the middle of a lot of uh, bustle if you're poking around or uh, probably en route to somewhere you're heading. Uh, I find it exceptionally convenient. I love good service and uh, they've got that. I love good food. They've got that. I love convenience. They've got that. I love free parking. They've got that. You getting the message? Stop by Jasper's. Give them a try. Tell them I sent you. Uh, I think you'll like it as much as I do. Location, quality food, quality service. Boom, 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 boom. Takes everything off the list. Fines. I talked earlier this season about a dumb fine that Amani Hooker got. It was when he returned that two-point conversion that he intercepted and went all the way down the field. Then he was celebrating with Arden Key, and his hand was taped in a certain way that uh, it was kind of open, and they were doing some dance, and his hand came across his body, and it looked maybe somewhat like a throat slash. He got fined for a throat slash. I don't know what's become of his appeal, but at least he had a chance to express it. My thinking there was, why not let the guy, like call the guy and say, hey, what's up with the throat slash? Let him explain that stuff on the front side and then decide if you're fining him instead of just fine him and set off an appeals process. Well, um, Aziz Al-Shair was fined $13,934 for roughing the passer in the third quarter on Derek Carr in the season opener in New Orleans on September 10th. I am recording this on January 11th. We saw a video of the play where the quarterback bantered Carr, bantered with Al Shire after they hit after he hit him with his left forearm in the chin as he released a pass on a scramble to his left. And Carr was wearing a microphone. He was mic'd up. He said, You got me good, Carr said when Al Shire kind of came over to check on him. You got me good. Hey, it's football. We're good. Now, Carr doesn't get to dismiss the fine or the play or anything. It's probably a fine. It's probably, you know, maybe they reduce it. Maybe they don't. You know what they should do, though? They should have addressed it by January 11th, September, October, November, December, January. Four months, an entire season of football, and Al Shair still has not heard back from them after appealing the fine. He's not gotten a verdict from the league. That's a ridiculously long wait. Did they lose the paperwork? I did my final check-in with Aziz on Monday. I've been checking in with him. What do you think of the NFL fine system where you get fined week one, you appeal quickly, and you haven't heard anything back after week 18? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe like backed up. I mean, if, if they are going to you know, take the fine back, then please do it as soon as possible. But if they're not, then, yeah, they can keep holding off as long as they want. I don't <laughs> Will you text me when you find out? Uh, I promise you. I'll I've been you. asking you, what, every yeah, other week? Every week. Every week. <laughs> so I got you, man. Thank so. you. Every week. I thought I was going to get a story. This is going to be surely this week, Aziz Al-Shair will have heard from the league. Surely week 14, week 15, week 16. No, 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 no. I mean, I, I honestly think that they, they lost it or they've forgotten about it. There's no way the system could be this bad <laughs> where they make a guy wait an entire season on an appeal. It's absolute silliness. Go make a bet at Zen Sports. Go eat a meal at Jasper's. Don't block the box. And please, please be sure to lock your locks.